Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you on this fantastic day. My name is Dustin, and I'm excited to share with you today. On this Thanksgiving week, as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, I am thankful for stretchy jeans, and I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, church. I'm thankful that, that you are here, that, that you encourage me as we sing together, as we worship God together, as we grow together, that you are an encouragement to me and to so many others. Joining online, just a shout out to you. Whether you are unable to be here or you're just checking things out, whatever it may be, I'm grateful for you. You are loved, you are prayed for, and you are valued. Well, today we are concluding a really brief series on marriage. We have been calling for better or worse. Last week, Pastor Kent uh, joked that I was going to take the for worse part and he was going to take the for better part. The joke is on him. I don't think marriage is that hard. In fact, when I was a kid, I had, that was a lot of laughs. When I was a kid, I had a, an idea, a vision, if you will, about how to have an easy marriage. I told my parents, in fact, my mom brought it up to me a couple weeks ago. When I was a kid, I told my parents I wanted to get married, have kids, buy a house, and then I was going to buy the house across the street, and I was going to live in the house across the street, and my wife and kids would live in the other house. That was my recipe. Like, you might need to write that down. Now, aside from being frighteningly chauvinistic and being financially not very feasible, I think it shows that even at a young age, even with parents who I knew loved each other, I also knew this marriage thing was not necessarily easy, right? Right. Kelly, my wife and I, we have been married for 18 years. Uh, we have been together for 20. Thursday was actually the 19th anniversary of our engagement. And in our 18 years of marriage, we have three kids. We have made three moves across state lines. And I am still waiting for it to get easier. I'm still waiting, and I think I'm going to be waiting for a while. I'm still waiting for it to get easier. But when people are dating, they think they're going to be the exception, don't they? Right? You've seen them. It's that, that new couple that they can't keep their hands off each other. It's disgusting, and you just want to judge them. But they're sitting there going, oh, these old people, they don't get it. They don't understand. We are in love. We love each other. They don't love each other like we do. We love each other so much that those red flags that are so obvious to everybody else look hot pink to us and they just make us remind us how much we love the other person. Right? Yes. And then we get married. And those beautiful, wonderful, funny opposites that attract become opposites that attack. And one day you wake up and instead of going, oh, look what we have done, you go, oh, look what we've done. Right? That's the experience of marriage. And it's hard. It's difficult. And it's also not very popular right now. If you've, if you've uh, seen that the younger generations are waiting longer and, and many are choosing not to get married. Now, I think there's a whole lot of reasons behind that. Dating is a lot harder today than it was even 20 years ago. And there are financial challenges. Uh, there are the challenges of having seen family members go through divorce and the, the, the hardship of that. And so many ways I think the, that younger generations want the benefits of marriage, but they may not want the commitment of it. And so I wanted to look today at what Scripture has that might help us see why is marriage so difficult? Why is it so hard? And what is the hope in that? Is there any hope in that? 
I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer, though, before I jump in. There are a couple holidays on the calendar, like Mother's Day and Father's Day, that for pastors are really difficult to talk about. And they're difficult to talk about because there's such a wide range of, of experiences and emotions around those holidays. And I think marriage can be one of those same topics. It's not a holiday, but there are so many, even just in this room right here and watching online, experiences of what marriage is. And so I could give 10 minutes of disclaimers, 10 minutes of things like abuse is never okay, period. I could give those disclaimers. But one thing that I do want to, to just say I don't think the church, the big church, has done a great job of, of valuing those who are not married. I think sometimes we have said to those who are not married, whether they, they used to be married or they wanted to be married or they're single because they have chosen to be single, that you are somehow less than in the kingdom of God. That is not true. Your marital status does not determine your value or worth in the kingdom of God. You are loved. Jesus died for you. He desires a relationship with you and he has a hope and a future for you. So today, as we go through this, yes, I'm talking about marriage. But I believe there are, there are ideas in here that are for all of us. And I hope that you can hear that today. So let's jump in. What we find in Scripture on marriage is that there is a marriage, a wedding, right at the very beginning of the book. There is a marriage, a wedding, right at the end of the book. And in between, there is a whole disaster of what marriage looks like. Absolute disaster. Today, point one. I'm going to give you the points and then we're going to unpack them. Marriage is hard because of what it represents. Marriage is hard because of what it represents. We're going to look at the very beginning. At the very beginning. Many of you know these passages. Genesis 1. God is creating the world that we know. And when it comes time to, to make mankind, it says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this might be review for you, but this, this idea, let us make mankind in our image. Who is God talking to here? As we go through scripture, we learn that, that God is talking to God. God is speaking to himself that, that our God is one God in three Persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity, our triune God. Tri meaning three. And this is a really difficult concept to even begin to wrap our brains around. But for the sake of today, the, the, the important thing to, to remember is that our God is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we, both male and female, are made in the image of God. Now, we learn more about humanity and the, the, the creation of, of humans in Genesis 2. What we learn in Genesis 2 is that Adam, the man, was created first. And he had a relationship with God and a job to do. His job was to name all the animals. And as he is naming the animals, there is no suitable partner or companion found for him. God says this isn't good. And so in Genesis 2, God creates woman Eve and brings her to Adam. And in Genesis 2, 24, we read, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Right here, this is the first marriage, right here. 
The first marriage, Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, marriage number one. Oftentimes we'll hear the phrase biblical marriage. And usually it's used in kind of a weaponized way. And usually it's described as biblical marriage is one man and one woman. No. I don't see that in Genesis. I do not see biblical marriage as one man and one woman. Because we are created in the image of a triune God. And if you look at the relationships in the garden, there's more going on than that. What we have in the garden is one man, one woman, and God. Because marriage is a picture of God on the earth. Marriage is a picture of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, man, woman, and God. It's a picture of God on the earth. Genesis 2.24, that, that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. That verse is quoted throughout Scripture. Jesus quotes it. And then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 quotes it and he puts it this way. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage is a picture of God on the earth but is also something else. What we read in Revelation 19 is that there's this marriage at the end of the book too. This marriage at the end of the book is when God brings together Jesus and the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. Follower of Jesus, that includes you, whether you're single or not. We are in that group. And so we have this marriage at the end of the book. And what Paul is telling us is that your marriage is not just a picture of God on the earth, but it's an illustration of how much Jesus loves the church, how much Jesus loves people. That is what your marriage represents. Your marriage represents God on the earth and how much Jesus loves people. So what would make this hard? I mean, I remember when I first heard this and learned this, it was really eye-opening to me, but then I thought, well, why is that hard? It's hard because Satan hates marriage because of what it represents. Now, no, we don't like to talk about Satan and demons and the enemy and all of that. And I am not, disclaimer, I am not saying your spouse is demon-possessed. Please do not hear that. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that every, every moment of tension in a marriage, oh, well, that's just the work of the enemy. I'm not saying that. But I think we need to be aware that there is an enemy and that enemy hates your marriage. Not, it's not personal. It's because of what it represents. It's a picture of God on the earth, and it is showing how much Jesus loves people. There is an enemy. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle for your marriage, and it is not with your spouse. Last week, Pastor Kent shared a message on seven ways to bulletproof your marriage. Why would we need to bulletproof our marriage? Our marriage is is easy, right? No, we need to bulletproof our marriage because there is an enemy. And that enemy hates your marriage. You might need to go back to hutchfirstnaz.org and watch that message on how to bulletproof your marriage. We see this in Genesis as well. In Genesis, notice, Adam and God have this relationship. Adam's naming the animals. Satan doesn't show up. But as soon as marriage comes onto the scene, 
It's not because Eve is the weak link and Satan sees an open door. No, it's because Satan hates marriage because of what it represents. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis 3, in the passage known as the fall. Let's read this together. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from him among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve, they had the perfect environment. They were literally made for each other. They had this relationship with each other. They had this amazing relationship with God. And yet, even in that perfect environment, the enemy was able to come divide them and to, and to cause confusion and to steal, kill, and destroy, as Scripture says. And so in, even if it can happen in that perfect environment, what about for those of us who live in a fallen world? We have an enemy. And that enemy hates your marriage because of what it represents. And that is part of what makes marriage so difficult. Let's look a little bit at Adam and Eve here. And we're going to look at their responses. But first, just that idea that your, your marriage is a picture of God on the earth and an illustration of how much Jesus loves people. I think some of us are quick to say, oh, well, that, my, my marriage doesn't show that. Don't be so quick to say no. I think there are times when, when people see the love of Jesus in your marriage in ways that we don't know as, as those who are in that marriage. As we see people go through the for worse moments, those are the times when we see Jesus clearly. So number one, marriage is hard because of what it represents. Number two, marriage will kill you. Marriage is hard because it will kill you. Do not say amen yet. We have not unpacked this. That would be rude. This is my favorite point in any message I've ever given, and it's my least favorite to live out. Marriage is hard because it will kill you. There's a battle on the outside for your marriage, but there is also a battle on the inside for your marriage. Even Adam in this passage, 
Satan comes and, and he begins to twist God's word to confuse Eve and to try, to try to cast doubt on God's word. There's so much in this passage. And Eve takes the fruit and it says, when she saw that it was good for food for her, that it was pleasing to the eye to her and beneficial for wisdom for her, she took an eighth. She gave to Adam, did the same thing. This is the self-focus, this turning of the self. They, they disconnected from God as the source of their life and, and much like a power strip plugging into itself, tried to plug into something different and that something different was themselves. And they turned inward to their own desires and their own, own, own will and their own pride and ego. And that is the essence of sin even still today. It's this self-focus. Even in their excuses, I, Adam, I'm surprised you didn't get slapped for that one. The woman you put here with me, right? They're blaming somebody else. They're not willing to take the responsibility. This tendency toward me before we is what, what marriage is designed to kill. This self-focus, this is the kind of death that we're talking about. It's those selfish desires. It's, it's the desire to be served before Serving. It's my will, my way, period. That is what marriage will kill in us. Paul in Ephesians 5 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In this passage, Paul is talking to, to believers and he's telling them, here is how you live a life Following the Spirit, Spirit-filled life in the context of community. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's laying down my preferences, laying down my desires, my selfish desires in order to serve and to love another. And this is not just for husbands and wives. Jesus puts it this way in Luke Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The call of Jesus to all of us who would seek to follow him is to come and die. And find in that dying the life that God has for you. A life beyond what we on our own could ask or imagine. This is the call to all of us. Yes, marriage will kill you. you the, the thing about this, this, this dying to self, it's for all of us. But those of us who are married get a little bit of extra practice. Yay. 18 years into it, and I will tell you, it's not like it happened 16 years ago and now we're good. There are moments more frequently than I'd like to admit that the Holy Spirit will, will nudge me and say, there's another thing you need to die to. There's another one of those areas of your life that you need to die to. We get extra practice at this. You see, in our marriages, the, the idea is that we're sacrificing. We are sacrificing for another, but we would much rather compromise. Now, compromise is not a bad thing. I think there are times when we do have to compromise. There are people in this world, politicians, who need to learn how to compromise again. Compromise is not bad, but in our marriages, I believe Scripture tells us to sacrifice. There's a difference. Compromise is that I'm going to leverage someone to hold on to something. 
Sacrifice is I'm going to let go of something to hold on to someone. When we compromise, we are, we are leveraging someone to hold on to something. But when we sacrifice, we are letting go of something to hold on to someone. This is the example that Jesus gives us. It's what he calls us to do in Philippians. As Paul puts it, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In Genesis 3, Adam died with his bride, but Jesus died for his bride. And we are called to follow in the way of Jesus who gave himself for us. Marriage will kill you. We can't do it on our own. I missed this earlier. That there's an equation. I'm really bad at math. Really bad at math. It's actually part of the reason why I'm married today. Uh, that's for another time. I'm really bad at math. But I know this equation. Marriage is 2 plus 1 equals 1. It is not 1 plus 1 equals 1. It is 2 plus 1 equals 1. Because marriage, remember, is a man, a woman, and God. We have to have God in there because this whole idea of dying to self, oh, this is hard. If you could do everything that we're talking about today on your own, we'd be in trouble. We cannot do this on our own. We need God's help to help us to do this. Marriage is hard because of what it represents. It's, it's hard and it will kill you. But after death, point number three is that after death comes resurrection. After death, it leads to resurrection. This is what we find throughout Scripture, that what happens after death is resurrection. There is a new creation that God is bringing about. Because of Jesus, we can say that we are dead to our sin. That, that is, again, as Paul would have put, that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is the life that we have the opportunity to live. And I believe that the gospel is not just so that we can be in heaven one day with God. The gospel has as much emphasis also on right here, right now, today in the world that we live in. That you can receive a resurrection in the midst of what seems dead right here, right now. That is the hope and the joy of the gospel. This idea of dying to self, this is not a horrible or, or scary thing. Yes, we find Jesus in the garden and he is anguished. He is, he is anguished about going to the cross. But what we find in Hebrews 12.2, 12, Hebrews 12.2 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Do you know what the joy set before Jesus was? It was you. You were the joy set before him, the church, the people of God. That is what the joy set before him was. In your marriage, what is the joy set before you? The joy set before us in dying to ourselves is being able to see a resurrection happen in our marriages and to see the joy set before us of God doing something in and through that and God bringing resurrection and restoration and the joy of the spouse that you have. 
Some of you are not married today. But oh, do you want to be. I know, we've had the conversations. You're not married, but you really desperately want to be. Can I just give you this idea? Maybe you need to die to that desire to receive what God really has for you. I'll use this as an example. It's a little bit too personal. But when I was in college, I went through a little season where I dated too many people in rapid succession. Like I, it, was, it was from one relationship to another. And I got to a point where I said, God, I, this, is not, this is not good. This isn't honoring you. This is not the right thing. This is not the right way to do this. God, I, I, I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to pursue a relationship. In fact, I'm going to spend this time right now pursuing my relationship with you. And I just kind of stopped. And then, I don't know, six, nine months later, I started spending time just as friends with this girl named Kelly. And we just kept spending more and more time together. I wasn't pursuing anything when I thought something was about to happen because our math teacher said, hey, are you two? She cut her off and said, no. But before too long, something happened out of that. You may need to die to that desire in order to see what God wants to do in your life. Marriage is really hard, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it to be able to, to, to see this idea of having the, the honor, the privilege of saying this is a picture of of God on the earth, and it is an illustration of how much Jesus loves people. That changes the way I interact with my wife when, when things get hard. Because I remember what it represents, and I remember that we have an enemy who wants to defeat that. It is so worth it. You know, not to, not to point it out, Pastor Kent brought it up yesterday. Jackie, as we, as we celebrated Steve yesterday... You want to see an illustration of Jesus' love for people. We saw it as we celebrated Steve's life. We, we saw that the last six years plus as Jackie loved him as he was going through dementia. The way she gave up many things that she loved to do to serve him. Thank you for showing Jesus. Thank you. For some of you, you need a resurrection in your marriage. You know you need a resurrection in your marriage. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is nudging you and saying, here's an area where you need to die to yourself. And we want to say, but what about them? What about them? And no, no, no. The Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Let, let God do his job and we will do ours. Just dying to self and seeing a resurrection come out of that. I believe you can have a resurrection in your marriage today. For some of you, it's not horrible and it's not bad. It's not one of those things where you're going, oh, this is just, it's, you just kind of maybe feel a little bit like roommates. Maybe you have kids in the home or you're dealing with the challenge of, of raising kids and taking care of aging parents. Or maybe caring for a, a spouse. It's not always glamorous, but I do believe that there can even be resurrection hope in that situation. And for some of you, you have experienced the sting of divorce. And you have heard it said that God hates divorce. And that is true. God hates divorce, but he does not hate you. God loves you, and that's why God hates divorce, because he knows what divorce does to you. 
that he loves you. And even in the midst of that, it may not look like what you or I think it might look like, but I do believe God can bring new creation out of that situation. So what is it for you? What is it for you? I mean, husbands, do you remember that moment when you stood right in front of the church and you watched your bride come down that aisle? Do you remember that moment? Couple, do you remember that moment (laughs) when you realized this is not just something fun for Friday and Saturday night, this relationship is going somewhere? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember what that was like? Spouses, do you remember, and I don't mean this to to sound crude, do you remember when, when sexual intimacy was something that was so beautiful because it was two people who absolutely wanted to be with each other? Do you remember? Do you remember? I think sometimes the things of life the kids, the, the, the houses, the mortgages, the jobs, all the things of life that happen. And they kind of start to create this wall of things that help, that keep us from seeing each other as we used to see each other. And instead, what if we were able to step away from those things and say, you know what? We didn't always do it perfectly, but we got through that together. With God, we got through all of that together and we're gonna continue getting through things together. I believe that a resurrection can happen in your marriage right here today. It may not happen like at a snap of a finger, but I believe the God. I mean, the Holy Spirit, it says in, in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos and God began to speak creation, order out of the chaos. You can't tell me that the Holy Spirit, the same one who lives in you, believer, can't speak order out of the chaos of your marriage and your life right here today. I believe it. And so when we take a step of faith, we sang a song earlier that is a lot easier to sing than it is to live out. I will make room for you, God, to do whatever you want to. That he would take the box that we try to place him in and we try to place our marriages in and we try to place our relationships in and we would say, God, whatever you want to do with this box, I am here for you to do whatever you want to do. So I want to pray for us as we take a next step of faith. If you need a resurrection in your marriage in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And you might want to, if your spouse is with you, hold their hand. You might want to put an arm over their shoulder because we are gonna together declare that God, we are gonna let you do what you do. And maybe you're in that place where where it feels like you're just roommates. Where, where you need a restoration and maybe some passion or you need some endurance to get through a difficult season because it's not always the glamour, I know. That you need the endurance to continue to love like Jesus. If that is you in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. If you are single and you just know that you need to die to some things, to see the resurrection that you need in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And for everybody in this room right now, I'm going to ask you to stand, everybody right now, because we're gonna go back into that song. And I want us to sing this song together. I want us to sing this song over our families, over our marriages, over our world, because we have an enemy who would like to destroy, but we're gonna surrender and see what God can do. Let's sing this together. Here is where I live.
Lord, we pray today. We pray for those marriages that need a resurrection. God, may we do our part of dying to ourselves and may we see your spirit move in our lives and in our marriages, God. Would you restore what seems hopelessly broken? Would you give us the faith to believe that you can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine? That though we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. And we will not stop, we will walk through it together with you, with each other. God, for the marriage that that needs a restoration of passion, that, that needs maybe just to be able to see each other the way we once saw each other. God, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would help us to see, to love, to see what our marriage really is, that it is a picture of you on the earth and it's an illustration of Jesus' love for all of us. God, that we can live in that way for the endurance that we sometimes need, the ability to to see you in the midst of it all. And God, for my single friends and those who who maybe are are struggling with not being married or or they're going through the, the horrors of divorce or whatever is going on in people's lives, God, we pray for new creation. We pray for a resurrection hope because we can't do it on our own, God. We need you to do what only you can do. And God, may today be a day where we draw a line in the sand and we say, today, I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose to believe by faith that with you, God, we can do this. It may be hard, but it is worth it. It may be difficult, but it is so beautiful. God, I thank you for the love that you've shown us. I thank you for for the cross. I thank you that you are with us. And so now, God, as we go from this place, I pray that the work that you have begun, you would continue on. That we would stay open to what you have for us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray.